The continuing resolution that's funding the government at the moment expires exactly one month from now. To head off a government shutdown, Congress and the White House need to reach agreement on either a set of full appropriations bills or another CR. But talks are hung up over the exact issue that prompted the last shutdown, money for the president's border wall. David Hawkins is editor-in-chief at The Fulcrum, and he joins me now to talk about what looks to be uh, another impasse. And, and, and So, David, what are the potential ways out of this, considering what appear to be what appears to be extreme animosity on both sides of Pennsylvania Avenue right now? Right. So the, the animosity is an intense. One, one potential way out um, would be for both sides, but principally President Trump to conclude that, um, you know, he does not need to add to the, this to his plate of, uh, of controversies, which is getting pretty, pretty highly stacked up as we're talking right now. Uh, and that he might decide that he just doesn't want to fight this. Now he had a, he had something of a victory uh, last week when the House uh, voted again to uh, revert so to reverse his emergency declaration that allows him, he says, to uh, take money from elsewhere, principally from military construction accounts, and put it towards the wall. The House voted to repeal that or to reverse that declaration. The Senate failed to come up with the votes to go along with the House. So the president is still, uh, at the moment, unless the courts get involved in this, uh, is is on solid ground in taking this money from military construction funds and putting it toward the wall. Now he wants, he doesn't want to keep doing that. He wants real money, real regular money, quote-unquote regular money in the budget to do this. Um, there, the political dynamics have not changed. The House Democrats are not going to give this to him. Uh, the support in the Senate is is soft at best. Um, so the easiest way is for the president to just choose to put this one aside and try and fight it another day. And I guess one way to fight it another day would be to just accept the appropriations bills as written by Congress and then essentially do the same thing he did in fiscal year did this do, do the same thing he did in fiscal year 19 in fiscal year 20 which would be to again use emergency authority to reprogram some more of those milcon or other funds toward border construction again. That that's right. I'm you you have just said it more succinctly than I did. Yes, that is exactly right and I don't I don't think there'd be an impediment to him uh, doing this, I think that should, um, I mean, it's not ideal if you are the president, you want to win a clean victory and have the money clean and be able to have money both for the military. I mean, I think ideally uh, he has nothing against these military construction projects that I'm aware of, uh, and he'd like to be able to do both. Um, and maybe he maybe next year he would find other sources of funds to reprogram. Um, but yes, that would seem to be the the um, the least contentious solution uh, in what should otherwise be, a, we should remind ourselves, I think, um, this should be an easy budgetary year by comparison to so many of the others because Congress voted earlier this summer to relax the spending caps um, and there are not, to my knowledge, too many other top flight disagreements. Um, so this is this is really... All that's in terms of a routine budget, this is this border fight is really the main thing standing in the way uh, between uh, a relatively smooth, if belated end of the budget year and not. Yeah, it's the only budget specific item. But of course, as you alluded to, there are other things going on on the Hill right now, such as impeachment, such as a big fight over the Turkey and Syria situation. What's your sense of the extent to which regular business is able to get done at all in Congress amidst 
all of these boiling issues? You know, I would say I would say really routine business, yes. But I would say that this current Congress uh, and this current you know president, to be to be fair, uh, the, the, the past presidents have sometimes been good at compartmentalizing things. Uh, it, so much that they were criticized for doing so. Bill Clinton, most famously, uh, when he was he was able to be in the middle of an impeachment trial uh, and come to Congress. I, I mean, it was an extremely memorable night in my life that covering the president coming up to Congress in the middle of the impeachment trial uh, and delivering a State of the Union address where he never mentioned impeachment. He just rolled out his program, his legislative agenda, uh, much of which we should remember, unlike today, much of which got done. 1999, uh, after the impeachment trial ended, uh, the president's approval rating was good. Um, Congress decided they wanted to come out of the impeachment trial uh, with and put some legislative points on the board, and they actually uh, had a relatively busy legislative year, um, in part because they were able to compartmentalize. That is not the case this year, as you allude to. Um, there was not much legislating going on uh, in any case, and now policymaking has, you know, except for these routine budget matters that we were just discussing, has more or less ground to a halt. All right. Uh, let, let's switch gears completely in the few minutes we still have you, David. I want to talk a bit about Elijah Cummings. His, his funeral services are set for later this week. And, you know, uh, among a lot of other things you could say and, and, and has already been said about Mr. Cummings, he, you know, he was a demonstration that it is still possible even in this day and age to be someone who is loved and admired by both sides of the aisle. I mean, he even though he was central to this impeachment fight we've just been talking about, he was central to a lot of other things, too, and including voting rights issues that, that you follow now very closely for the fulcrum. So, so I mean, what, what are your thoughts on his passing and what it means for the institution? Well, my, you're right. My, thought, my thoughts go exactly to where you were, uh, were speaking, which is um, that he, you're right, he was an old, he, he was an old school politician in all the good ways. Um, and by that I mean, um, you know, not only was he really plugged into his community and under, you know, really understood at a micro level his constituency, but he believed in the value of relationships. He believed that disagreement should end uh, once the gavel came down. Um, there was a, one, of the, one of the more memorable lines of the um, uh, some of the eulogies that happened in the House the morning after uh, or the, Mr. Cummings' death was announced was from Kevin McCarthy, the Republican uh, House Minority Leader, who said, we on our side always had a hard time finding somebody to go toe-to-toe with Elijah Cummings on that committee, because every time we put somebody up you know, as the top Republican on that committee, they'd end up being best friends with mm-hmm. the guy, and mm-hmm. that was both uh, you know, a blessing and a curse. Um, you, know, it's, you think of the, of the Republicans who were first in line to eulogize Mr. Cummings. They included Mark Meadows, the leader of the, of the Freedom Caucus, who considered Cummings a genuinely close friend, uh, and Trey Gowdy, uh, a, a, um, a very, very combative conservative when he was in Congress, now out of Congress, was briefly thought about to come back to uh, Washington uh, to be on the president's impeachment legal team, um, and Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, all of them knew uh, Mr. Cummings particularly well from the so-called Special Benghazi Committee. Um, and they all, you know, they were all quite broken up by this. So, and it sounds, I mean, it's, it is, his passing is sad, of course, and, it, and his passing is particularly sad because it is a reminder that there are, 
there are a few like him, were a few like him in many ways, and in terms of the bipartisan functionality of Congress, in terms of the ability of people to find a way to reach to some accommodation by having a personal understanding of one another, he was very good at that. And his and his uh, his death leaves a pretty big void on that score. It does. David Hawkins is editor in chief at the Fulcrum. Thanks as always, David. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.